Okay, let's turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And verse number 46, very end of the chapter. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Father God, thank you for your word. It is your word, inspired, inerrant, perfect, infallible, holy. It's for us. And so I pray you'd speak today. Fill me with your spirit. Help me, Lord God, to say only what I should and keep me from saying anything I ought not. Clear my mind today, I pray. Help us today, Lord, to be hearers of your word. And I will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This parable of our Lord is mentioned not only here, but also in the Gospel of Matthew. A couple of years ago, we did a study of the parables of Jesus, and we talked about that particular version of it then. The two versions of the parable are very similar, almost identical, uh, but there are a couple of differences. Uh, In Matthew, there is an emphasis on foolishness versus wisdom. You may remember the little song we used to sing when we were kids, the wise man built his house upon a rock, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. That's the emphasis, it seems, in the Matthew version of it. We don't see that here in Luke, do we? What we see in Luke, rather, is an emphasis on the results. That's also in Matthew, but for some reason we think more of the wise and foolish thing when we read Matthew. But here we see more of the results of these two different ways of living, these two different ways of building. Now, if you want to go back and, and see what Matthew has to say, all that information is out there. We've got all of the audio of those studies. We've got that all in print. And so I encourage you to avail yourself of those resources. But, and we're not going to talk about that one this morning. We want to talk about Luke's version of this parable. And so for just a few minutes today, uh, I, I think you guys are going to like the fact that for a while now I'm probably going to be pretty short in my preaching. Uh, you'll probably find that a, a good thing as to what has happened here. But let's just for a few minutes notice Luke's version of this parable. And there's three things. I think this kind of divides itself up for us uh, as we look at it. Three things that I want us to notice. And number one is this. I want us to notice this fact. Some people only give lip service to Jesus Christ. Some people only give lip service to Christ. That's in verse number 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? It seems like a ridiculous question, doesn't it? Jesus seems to be asking there a question that we would think, well, why would he even ask such a question? Because it seems to be there that he's pointing out the total incongruity that exists in some people's lives. He was saying that some people say they believe but don't present any evidence of that belief. They have a religion of lips but not legs, of words but not walk. He's pointing out the sad fact. And it is a fact. Some people only give lip service to the cause of Jesus Christ. On another day, Jesus was talking to the scribes and to the Pharisees. Or rather, he was talking about the scribes 
and the Pharisees. And he said they're a perfect example of this. Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 23. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. All their works they do to be seen by men. They say and do not do. That's exactly what Jesus is describing here in this initial question that he asked in verse number 46. Those who say and do not do, or as the King James Version puts it, they say and do not. Hmm. Think about it for a minute. Think about that word Lord that he used there. It's a very interesting word. The word Lord is a powerful word. It translates a Greek word, kurios. Kurios, which means several things. It means supernatural master overall. It describes an owner, one who owns or controls a state land and property such as slaves. We see it used like that even in, 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 in lands like Britain today. A lord is a ruler, a master, one who exercises authority over another. And it's also just a title of respect. It would be equivalent to our word, sir, when we use that, the title of respect. But as we study this word in the New Testament, we find that it took on an even greater meaning when it began to be applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it became equivalent to the Old Testament name, Yahweh. It's clear. It's a clear indication that not only is his authority, uh, the authority that he has as a man, he also has the authority as God. It's speaking of his deity. And make no mistake, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. The Bible claims this reality for him, and especially interesting is the fact that he claimed it for himself. Every once in a while I come across some guy who will say, Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. And I think, have you ever read even one page of the Bible? It's all through it. Jesus claimed to be deity. John chapter 13 and verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. Well, that's pretty clear. He claimed it. In Mark chapter 5 and verse 19, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. There's another parallel passage where that's even stronger, where rather than the word Lord, the word God is used. That's in Luke chapter 8 and verse number 39. Return to your house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. He's Lord. He's God. He's deity. Luke chapter 19, verse 31. If anyone asks you, why are you losing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. And so Jesus took this word and applied it to himself over and over and over. I love the story of Thomas. Thomas. His famous incident of doubting after the resurrection. I love the fact that when he was presented then with the unmistakable evidence of the risen Savior. He said, uh, he said an amazing thing. One, one, one guy put it like this. He said, Thomas, when he realized the significance of the presence of a mortal wound in the body of a living man, immediately joined with it the absolute title of deity, saying, my Lord and my God. He put them both together. That's Jesus. He is Lord. And he is God. And so consider the question, after we've thought through that. Why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me ruler? Master, owner, God, and not do the things that I say. Why do you claim to understand who I am and yet not live in the reality of that claim? 
Why do you give lip service to me? But consider not only the word. There's something else interesting here. Consider the repetition of the word. You know, we say it all the time that every word of Scripture is important. He didn't just say, why do you call me Lord? He said, why do you call me Lord? Lord. What's the significance of the repetition? Well, uh, one source I consulted said this. The rabbis say that the doubling of a name shows affection. Affection. Remember in Genesis chapter 22 and verse number 11 when God called to Abraham. It says, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham. Abraham. And he said, here I am. There's affection meant in that doubling of the name. If I were to say, Amy, well, that's just, if I were to say, Amy, Amy. We do the same thing, don't we? And so it has an interesting dimension, doesn't it? Jesus was not only saying, why do you call me Lord, but also, why do you claim to love me? And not do the things that I say. And we consider these questions, this question. We can't believe it would be true of anybody. How could it be? How could anybody have even an inkling of the reality of who Jesus is and not obey him? How could anybody claim to love this one who loved them so much that he gave his life on the cross of Calvary to save their soul and not do the things that he says? Seems impossible. And yet Jesus clearly stated it here as a fact, did he not? There are some who give lip service to the Lord. There are some who, like the Pharisees and scribes, say and do not. And so I wonder this morning, where do you fit into that? Does that in any way describe you? As we continue the parable, we're going to see that he describes the results of of how you would think that through. He describes here two different groups of people. Two different categories. I think one of them is this group that we've been describing. The ones who give lip service to him. The ones who say and do not. The ones who say they believe but don't obey. And you know what? He describes them here as people who face ruin. People who face collapse. They're building a life with no foundation. And then he describes another group. He describes a group that, uh, that have a true and a real faith in him. And he says that this is a group of people who are unshakable, for they are building their foundation, their life, on a foundation of rock. So let's look at those two, just quickly, and we'll be done. First of all, he says there is a way to live that is unshakable. A way to live that is unshakable. Verse number 47, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. Do you see it? When the entire house, the entire life, is built on Christ, it is unshakably secure. But when the entire house or the entire life is built on anything else, it is certain to collapse. Unshakable. That's the life of a believer. That's the life that a Christian can have. That's the promise to the saved. When the flood arose, not if, when the flood arose, the flood will come. We talked about this when we we looked at this from Matthew's version. The fact is, Jesus didn't promise that we would avoid the troubles of life when we became Christians. Actually, just the opposite. Floods will come. And rain will fall. 
And trouble is an ever-present reality in our sin-broken world. <laughs> Ask our brothers and sisters in Syria or Iraq about trouble and floods. Ask them as they are fleeing from their homes with only the shirt on their back because they're not allowed to even take their, their medicines or anything. Nothing. Flee for your very life. When the flood arose, it will come. Just like lost people, Christians get sick. And just like lost people, Christians contract Alzheimer's. Just like lost people, Christians have accidents and lose their jobs, struggle with debt, have marital problems, suffer from depression. Just like lost people, Christians sometimes make stupid decisions and have to live with the results of that decision. Just like lost people, Christians sometimes suffer the loss of people they love. There's no difference. You know, since Beth died, I have been unable to get one particular passage of Scripture out of my mind. It's, it's about Ezekiel. And I just can't, I can't get out of my mind this example from Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 24, also the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, behold, I take away from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke. Yet you shall neither mourn nor weep, nor shall your tears run down. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and at evening my wife died. And the next morning I did as I was commanded. I read that passage and I think, I'm certainly not the only one to suffer such a loss. The fact is, it happens all the time. Sometimes Jesus said the floods not only come. But they beat vehemently. And so the real question is not whether or not floods will come in the life of a Christian, but will we stand when they do? As the hymn writer said, will your anchor hold in the storms of life? When the clouds unfold their wings of strife, when the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift? Or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. It is safely moored till the storm withstand. For it is well secured by the Savior's hand. And the cables passed from his heart to mine can defy the blast through strength divine. It will firmly hold in the straits of fear when the breakers have told the reef is near. Though the tempest rave and the wild winds blow, not an angry wave shall our bark overflow. It will surely hold in the floods of death when the waters cold chill our latest breath on the rising tide. It can never fail. While our hopes abide within the veil. Hear the promise this morning. Do you hear it? For the believer, we have an unshakable foundation. The psalmist said, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. That word moved is the word shaken. 
Also in Psalm chapter 62, Truly my soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly shaken. Psalm 112, Surely He will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. I read on Twitter just this morning as I was reviewing this message. With Jesus Christ in your life, you can experience joy even when things are going wrong. And that's it. That's it. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it for it was founded on the rock. There is a way to live that is unshaken. There is also a way to live that will only bring ruin. That's the other thing he has to say. There is a way that will only bring ruin. Verse 49, he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. And this is, of course, the person who was describing the initial question, right? The person who gives only lip service to Jesus, the one who says and does not. The one who has a profession but not a possession. This person is not building his life on Jesus Christ. Building it on something else, anything else, but not on Jesus Christ. And notice how Jesus described his life. It will also be visited with floods. They also may beat vehemently upon it. But because there is no foundation under this life, it falls. It falls immediately. It's ruined. That word ruined could also be translated collapse. It collapses. So again, do you see it? When, when the entire house or life is built on Christ, it is unshakable. But when the entire house or life is built on anything else, it is certain to collapse. And I'm fascinated by that word immediately. It's certain to collapse immediately. At the very instant of trial. How many professors have stood so publicly before you? Maybe even in this church. And then, like, somebody flipped the light switch, they're gone. Have you ever noticed that? The first inkling of difficulty, and they cave. I've sat with people who have said to me time and time again, we're in this for the long haul, preacher, and we're here, and we're with this church, and we're with you. And then I blink, and they're not here. And I wonder what happened. You see, without the foundation that is Jesus Christ, you won't stand for a while. Or you won't hold up under some trial. You won't hold up under anything. A feather will knock you down. Anything will knock you down. You'll fall away immediately. See, Jesus was saying there's a way to live that will only bring ruin. It will only bring collapse. He who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell. And the ruin, the collapse of that house. And so I ask you this morning, my friend, are you building your life on Jesus Christ? Is he and he alone your foundation? Have you heard? Have you seen? Have you believed that he is Lord? He is God. He is owner. He is ruler. He is sovereign. He is king. And have you seen and believed that he is Lord, Lord, the one who loves you? With an everlasting love. Whose love for you went so far as to 
lay down his life for you on the cross of Calvary. For the salvation of your soul. Have you seen that? Lord. Lord. If you can see it. And you have not yet received it. Will you not do it today? It's not enough just to have an intellectual understanding of these things. It's not enough. You have to accept that you're a sinner, that you're in desperate need of salvation, that there is no other hope for your soul, that you are lost without Jesus. You have to accept that. Undone. Lost. And then you must turn from your sin and believe Jesus is the very Son of God who came into this world for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to save your soul and the soul of others like you. He gave his life on the cross of Calvary for that purpose. He accomplished the salvation of your soul by the death he died there. You must believe that. You must believe he died for you. You must believe he's the only way to salvation. And then you must receive him. You must receive him as your Savior. In other words, you have to ask for it. He's done all the heavy lifting. He died. He paid. He holds it out. All you have to do is take it. My Bible tells me, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Is that your foundation? Is that your foundation? Is that what you are building on? And if so, then you have an unshakable foundation. And if, if you haven't experienced it yet, when the day comes, when the floods come, and maybe even when they beat me you will stand firm, unshakable. A few years ago, and I, I told this story once before, but a few years ago, gospel music artist Steve Curtis, Stephen Curtis Chapman and his wife, Mary Beth, lost a child. And they lost a child in a particularly tragic way. Their 17-year-old son ran over their 5-year-old child in their driveway and killed her, their five-year-old daughter. It was a terrible thing. It was an accident, but it was a terrible thing. Sometime thereafter, they, they were being interviewed by Larry King on the Larry King Live show. And at the conclusion of that interview, Larry King asked, Mary Beth, did you ever question your belief? And Mary Beth answered, never. Never. You know what I tell my closest friends? When it got to the darkest, darkest point, and we went as far down as we could, we might not even have landed feet up. We might have landed right on our face, but the foundation was solid, and it was there. And we landed. Only in Christ. Only Jesus gives us resources like that. Is that the foundation on which you're building your life? I encourage everyone here this morning, if you're building on anything else, would you turn to Christ today? Would you trust Him today? If so, you'll be building on an unshakable foundation.